Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and today Hulk gets a pew-pew shower. <laughs> kind of sounds gross the way that you <laughs> just said that. Only if right. you're the one who makes it gross. The receiver is the one who makes it gross. <laughs> all right. But it's so all know. on me. That's right. Today we're talking about minute 100. Which is what Hulk said. <laughs> I'm covered in pew-pews. <laughs> Today we are talking about Minute 123, which begins with close-range arrow fighting and ends with a bird in motion. As you heard, we have back on the show Sword Boy himself, Robin Bird. Hello, Robin. (laughs) Hello, everybody. I am so happy to be here to represent the uh, popular Feist single, 123. (laughs) <laughs> how many references to different That's, one two threes yeah. can we come up with over the course of this? i don't know that's right you can the, i mean it's just like off. abc andy <laughs> yeah yeah I was, I was gonna go to billy wilder and his fantastic movie oh, okay that's a little bit of a dud okay, this yeah, audience, you, did it, you did it what are you gonna do you went you <laughs> did it somebody had to kill it you went old school you tried to hit it out of the park that's, that was caught. That, I was just Steve Martin in the bus saying, how about this? Three <laughs> coins in the fountain, each one seeking happiness. <laughs> the kids are not going to get any of this. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are coming in. Uh, this is kind of this heavier moment in the film where everyone's kind of getting... As they've all been doing their fighting, they're all kind of starting to get to a place where they're running out of arrows, as we find out here. They're kind of each getting pinned down in some capacity. We're following right after Iron Man has had his little, uh, you know, (laughs) confrontation with the inside of a Leviathan and then is surrounded by Chitauri. Here we have Hawkeye, and he is in action uh, taking down Chitari, and then this is what happens when he finds out that his quiver runs dry. Um, you know, how does this uh, how does this play for the two of you? You know what? You're know, why all does that out. sound so funny? Wow. No, you're all out of it. You just you can't comment on anything else I say forever for the rest of this show. It's your favorite song, "Quiver of Dreams." <laughs> 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 uh, right. So can I just give a shout out to uh, Arrows actually having a countable value? I love it that he runs out of Arrows. Yes. Uh, though it does remind you that the only time clearly Hawkeye is shooting Arrows is when the camera is on him. Otherwise, he would have run out a long time ago. That's what I think. <laughs> and so now we get it. But we also get the close up of the quiver and how the quiver uh, works in action. And I really, really like that, too. It is cool. Yeah. I, I think it's funny when we see... <laughs> We see the top of his quiver as he reaches back. It's designed purely for shafts, and I don't know how he actually gets the arrows out. Like, you can see a whole bunch of holes for each of the arrows. This is only about a second into this movie. But it's like, once that the arrowhead attaches itself to the the shaft, how does how does it come out? How does it get out of those? It's just stuck. <laughs> it just, yeah. It's not going to make it out. I don't. I That's don't know really I, funny. I've never noticed that. Yeah, I I was analyzing this thing, uh, the 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 auto quiver. I was calling it right, um, and uh, uh, I did not even notice that. I see how it's how things are loaded. I've definitely got lots of questions about the how it's low i mean there's there's three buttons on the bow. Does that mean there's only three arrowheads to choose from? And which one is the boxing glove? I think it is. 
I think it's a back forward, like forward reverse and and select. Oh yeah, option and because it's oh. like a rotating thing. And I think what he said, he just knows how many, or there's some sort of haptic thing in the handle of the bow where he's getting notified where he is and he recognizes, okay, stop at the grappling hook, select, screw, fire. And I thought you were going to go down the road of uh, what we were doing with Captain America and the buttons on his motorcycle handles, like <laughs> top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right. What's the combination yeah. of button pushes that <laughs> right. he does to release right. each of the things? I thought it was going to be the same right. thing, like Hawkeye's right, right, left, video left, game console down, here, right? Exactly. <laughs> Poor Hawkeye's trying to engage God mode and <laughs> fire yep. the pump. He is. <laughs> Why won't it work in real life? Yeah, right. <laughs> But his quiver, I mean, it, despite the fact that he can't actually get an arrowhead arrow out once he puts its, the head on the arrow, uh, it looks like it holds about 32 arrows in total, like shafts. But I was wondering, like, how many heads? Because obviously he has more heads than he did shafts because he's going to reach an extra head right now. Right. As we see. But I was wondering, like, what's the ratio? Like, he does he try to keep this over abundantly full so he always so he'll never run dry assuming he can get more like pull more shafts out of victims well that we're really just kind of treading on such dangerous territory of discussion here uh i'm really trying hard not to make any notes uh, any jokes (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i i'm is it possible that hawkeye's quiver is magical is that what we're coming to (laughs) is that the shocking realization of this minute I it may be or or maybe he's used them all and the uh, only thing he has left which he just hasn't had use for is of course the grappling hook which he's going to use and that's right. just so he always it, my hunch is it's probably like he keeps a variety of like the exploding arrows and and the uh the the ones that um uh, split into a bunch of different uh blasts like those sorts of things he kind of does just a a grab bag mix but then like this is one where he only has probably one grappling hook in here and it's just a standby in case he actually needs it but i imagine that his ratio is probably probably pretty comparable to what he actually has you know because yeah i mean i don't i would assume that he actually uses some arrowheads that can be reused i don't think that they all blow up but how does he put them back in i mean there's if he pulls it out of a chitari and it, he and just reshoots. He can the reshoot arrow. it, right? Assuming that the head yeah. didn't blow up, but uh, but if it did, then that's when he runs into the issues. I think when he pulled it out of the Chitari, it he, he didn't it didn't have an arrowhead on it, and that's how he could load the grappling hook onto this uh, what I think is a, a shaft, probably covered in Chitari guts. Which again, the whole there's a whole cleaning process, I'm sure, to this quiver if you're reusing arrows. Yeah, it's a sanitation <laughs> cycle. <laughs> I think is a sanitation cycle. I, you're, what we see in the quiver is you're absolutely right. All we see is the bare threaded shaft head. Like there's, there is no arrow on there, but, but does that not imply that possibly when he, uh, the second he puts an arrow with a head on it in the magical quiver, it automatically unscrews and readies to be re-threaded with a new head? It just seems strange to me. Like, so he shoots the arrow into the Chitari. Yeah. And then pulls it back out, and there's no arrowhead on it. Where did the arrowhead go? Did it magically unscrew in the Chitari viscera? But again, that's like, it, it seems to be defeating the purpose of making it reusable if it's not an exploding head. Like, if there's a head on it, 
And again, I know like the design of arrows, they make it hard to get out. Either you push it through or it's very painful processing. Again, that's if they're still alive, but it still is going to be hard to like yank a head out of the Chitauri as quickly as he does and needs it here. So it's possible that with enough pressure, it's designed to just pop off. Still, it seems to defeat the purpose of making it reusable. It absolutely does. Maybe there's, uh, I mean... Yeah, being a uh, a skilled arrow guy, uh, maybe he realizes, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to run out of arrows eventually. I'm going to need to reuse some shafts. Maybe there's like a little button release on the, you know, oh, flag yeah. part of the arrow that releases the head, and you so you just can okay. quickly pull that out and then shove it back into your quiver. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I can actually see that, like a quick release, a quick head release. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Would... Also, uh, you know, these are this is weaponry uh, created by Shield, which of course uh, gets some of its technology from uh, the Tesseract, right? So there could be some Tesseract uh, technology inside his quiver <laughs> that we don't know anything about. Yeah, <laughs> I like the idea that the arrowhead itself was a, like a Tesseract blue goo tip. And when he shot it into this uh, Chitari right at the start of the minute, that it actually like explodes inside of him and just like, you know. It, it, it evaporated most of his innards. <laughs> right. Huh. Yeah. Why not? So that's interesting, Mr. Bateman. <laughs> and, and getting even, even more gory, I like, I'm, I'm assuming when you pull the arrow out of the Chitari, it's covered in guts. Like it would have been a lot more realistic if you just quickly saw Hawkeye like wiping the arrow on his pant leg before yeah. he shoved it back. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. That or does been... it go like through like an alcohol solution or something to really like sterilize it? <laughs> yeah, right. Is there like right below all that series of holes we see at the top of his quiver? Is there like a, a sterilizing bath rinse that it runs yeah. through? Yeah. Like this might not be blue tesseract energy in there. Uh, it's probably it... just UV light, really, because why would why would Hawkeye <laughs> want to walk around with just like this constant fountain of cleansing alcohol in his quiver? Right. I thought maybe the blue stuff that the barbers put their combs in. Right. <laughs> right. Like Barbasol? around back there. <laughs> I would not have expected us to get a Barbasol reference on this show ever. Congratulations, Robin Bird. His yeah. other career yeah. is is cutting hair. That's why everyone on, on the Avengers has such sharp haircuts. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea though. Now, like as as Clint is fighting and rolling around and stuff, there's this constant sloshing with, that goes yeah. along with him. Yeah, we didn't know that as a character beat, Clint Barton is a dramatic germaphobe. Right. <laughs> He's just always cleaning stuff, including all his arrowheads. Right. right. And what we didn't see when when Tony dropped him off up on the roof here is that he offered him some hand sanitizer. (laughs) (laughs) That's also in the, in his handle. Like that's the third button. It just just squeezes stuff into his hand. Oh my gosh. Okay. Is there a way to recover? Right. So, all right, Hawkeye, we've got this Hawkeye moment here. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, we haven't asked yet, Robin, but is this specifically the reason that you picked this minute or is it when we jump into the moment with Hulk in a little bit or, or is it, I should say, Hawkeye's descent, we'll call it. Uh, yeah, honestly, uh, both because the Hulk moment you, you, you remember from the trailer, but the, but the Hawkeye moment is like twofold cool. I'm not sure if it was in the trailer or not. But it was definitely a, a, a memorable moment, just a, like a yes uh, a moment in the theater. Sure. But also, there, we see the uh, other side of this on the Hawkeye TV series. Yeah, right. Yeah, a whole other perspective from Kate's 
windows she was watching. So now when I rewatch the Avengers, I imagine a young Kate Bishop, like in an apartment building across the way that we're not seeing in this movie, watching all this action happen. And, you know, that was kind of a cool way to to start off that series, by the way. You know, it's just like, wow, this yeah. is a huge moment from the Avengers. And they're now seeing it from a certain point of view. <laughs> Different. <laughs> so good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So smart. It's um, I mean, the move itself. Well, let's uh, I mean, since you've already brought it up, I just want to um, location wise kind of discuss what we're looking at here, because I've never again, not having been to New York, not really kind of paying that much attention to where they are over the course of the film. But as he does his leap and we cut to the, uh, the God's eye view looking straight down at him as he shoots the grappling hook arrow right past us, we actually are seeing the viaduct right below. And you can actually see Grand Central Terminal off on the left. And actually the building that I'm assuming is where Kate lives is right across the street. That's the building that Hulk has already kind of smashed up a little bit as he first jumps up and lands on the building that that uh, Barton's jumping from, grabs that first Chitauri, and then jumps across to the other side, smashing that Chitauri into the windows, grabbing another Chitauri, and then tossing him through a window as he bounds off. So that building that Kate lives in already has had a bunch of damage from Hulk as he's kind of bounding around and smashing things up. I am a, I'm a guest. <laughs> this is obviously we're uh, coming out uh, uh, the end of July, but we are recording... I can I can d- destroy the illusion a little bit. We were recording like the day after Father's Day, and to learn that the Hulk might have killed Kate's dad uh, <laughs> uh, just astounds me. It, it uh, shocks me. Like, why doesn't she have some sort of vendetta against the Hulk? I, yeah, <laughs> right. An extra layer for Kate to battle through. Yeah, interesting, right? Yeah, because that certainly is never brought up. Like, I no. it, weirdly, I don't think that show ever really addresses which building it is that specifically yeah. or ties it into the fact that this plus not only did hulk destroy part of this building but there's a jatari inside of it running around somewhere yeah so uh it's i mean that's that's all really interesting and just like i i like now having kind of paid more attention to all of these uh the bits of minutiae as we do that we are actually seeing the viaduct below where the team had been battling earlier. It's just one of those things that I'd never really noticed before. And if you look carefully, you could also see all the green umbrellas from the Pershing cafe where Beth, our waitress had worked. Right. May, may I transition to the grappling hook? Uh, well, yes, the grappling hook, the grappling hook. And let's also uh, make sure we talk about the fantastic gymnastic ability of Clint as he, jumps off and spins himself around to shoot this. The dude's a cat. He is a cat. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. Uh, may, may I interject before we get into that? Oh, please. Just a real quick interject. I uh, watched uh, Shazam 2 for the first time uh, last week. And uh, I know it's DC, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> um, they had this whole scene where there was uh, 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 chaos in the city street and there was this woman that looked so much like the waitress from the Avengers nearly get killed. I had to actually go on the IMDb and go, is that Ashley Johnson? Was that? It wasn't her, but I was <laughs> it like, wasn't oh, her. come oh, on. They knew what they were doing. That would doing. have been amazing. It really looked like a, we're going to give a, we're, we're, we're going to give a, a, this, this same character a beat in a DC film. But I, you know, I, I think they were just wanted to kind of uh, invoke the, the memory of 
That's yeah. so funny. It does make me wonder if she's like building a career off of just like bit <laughs> server parts that ultimately mostly get cut, but then she might die. Yeah. <laughs> that's, anyway, a, that's a dark trajectory for your career. Yeah. I'd really like to Here's, do this. Yeah. What's going on with this grappling hook? So it, it, he's able to, this hook is able to hit the, the stone hard enough to find purchase. What's going on with that cable? <laughs> well, it's it's what you'd call a spaghetti with a bunch of penne pasta. <laughs> it's kind of like what your kids make for you in school for Father's Day, speaking of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that's it nice kind of looks right like there. a Lego, like something made out of Legos. And I just don't <laughs> understand it because it's. I think it's cool. I just don't know why. Is it? It feels like it almost can compress upon itself. To fit inside the arrow shaft? Yeah. I guess that's what it has to do. First of all, the fact that that small grappling head can embed itself deep enough into a wall. Yeah. And and catch a body. I mean, let's just say Clint is, I don't know, 120. Got Jeremy Renner's solid muscle, Andy. Give him 145 easy. Okay. Yeah. All muscle. He's just a big walking <laughs> muscle. Uh, that's and falling. So with all of the yeah. momentum of his mass falling, it can hold it. And that's what's amazing. I don't know if the design of that hook, I mean, it doesn't look like it has any give. I would have assumed that it would need to have give in order to kind of like not rip the grappling hook out of the wall instantly, but it doesn't show that. But you're right. I don't understand exactly like the weird, I was thinking of like those um, remember those jump ropes that like you'd have in gym class yeah. where they it wasn't a rope. It was like yes. a cable inside, but it had all those little plastic like noodles yeah. all along its length. Like that's kind I of what it hear re- them yes. skittering against the, the floor of my gym. Right. Yes. Wow. That triggered a flashback sound for flashback. all of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's kind of what it reminded me of. It's just a weird design. And yeah, I guess I wasn't exactly sure what they were going for. Other than the fact that, as you said, Pete, it looks cool. I guess, right? It looks cool. I think that's what I'm going for. I think it collapses in on itself, but it still feels like it's breaking some sort of law of compression physics because he's it's awfully long for him to like yeah, to fall. Like it just feels like too long. Where is it coming from? I mean, is it is it somehow still tethered to him? No, it's just in the air in the like, where does it hook on? Oh, I'm yeah. very confused. This is, we're going to now call this the Hawkeye Double Dutch. And <laughs> I just don't understand how it works. Where is he? What is he hanging on to? Where is the rope tethered? I, I believe, like, you see a spring loading when you see that arrow get loaded. So I wonder, like, at first I think, oh, it's, that's a spring that delivers the arrowhead to the, to the chef. But maybe it is a part of it. And when you pull the arrow out you're you're hooking it onto the bow and then kind of pulling it back like a pinball machine <laughs> it's just poo. yeah and it's sort of like it kind of feels like the tail of the shaft then hooks something and maybe there's more cable yeah. that comes out of the actual bow magic yeah or he's got a fanny pack uh this is very confusing <laughs> hawkeye in a fanny pack please what is this 1984 <laughs> <laughs> It It is a funky design. It looks like as he's falling it, that, I mean, as you're kind of saying, Robin, it seems to somehow, as he shoots it, it somehow has attached that that cable to, 
I don't know, the center part of the bow, whatever that is, where you kind of like the knock where you're resting it, where it's you're using to aim. Like it seems to have attached to that. Uh, yeah. But it's which is what you see when he is. falls. Yeah, when yeah. he falls through the glass, you can see him. It kind of releases in the shower of glass and from the bow. Yeah. yeah and of course, releases up, up, down, down. Up, up, uh, down, down, left, yeah, left, right, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 A, B, A, B. <laughs> exactly. Enter. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's it is a funky little tool. It looks cool, but it is one of those things that when you really try piecing it together, it's hard to figure out exactly how it works out. Yeah. The most unrealistic part to me is the the hook. I just don't see that thing is so little. I have a close up of Ari now, and it is is so tiny. And how like you could just rely on it to go into concrete with that small of a hook and I, I and then have it yank and then be enough to hold your weight after yanking on it like that. it just yeah wow. i just don't buy it right i mean it almost is this uh kind of the the what it's latching onto it's almost as small as the little um the cable supports from the one that had the the timed missile that he uses to blow up the engine in the helicarrier right. you know it's <laughs> right. it's like those cute little cables that it had like that's I don't know exactly how it works, but something is going on inside this thing that is doing something. But he lands. Regardless, and uh, he does. He he swings and he crashes through a window. Again, he's in the building right across from uh, Grand Central Terminal. He crashes in this building and kind of, I feel like, okay, this is the moment that's going to put him out of the film for the rest of the duration because <laughs> he's like, did he land on glass? Uh, did he throw his back out? Exactly what he sort of pain his back. Is, yeah. Yeah, is, is uh, Clint going through at this particular moment? Yeah, three left clicks and one right click calls life <laughs> alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've fallen. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. So funny. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But yeah, talk about realism. I mean, like how many action movies use this trope of somebody swinging down and then crashing through a window? And and I think Die Hard, of course, is probably the first to make it look real, like just have a, have a little spin on it where he's like, oh, he doesn't go immediately crash through the window and he's got it. But this one, it's like he crashed through the window and just like he's on his back and he's like, ah, like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's more realistic than crashing through and then just running still running you know yeah like a roll a roll and a run to the elevator exactly right although and i mean but he's actually lucky that the glass did break because we learned in die hard like he comes down and the glass doesn't break and he's got to shoot it to get through the glass and you know of course that would have put clint in a uh real difficult spot since he doesn't have anything he could actually shoot uh at this point so i guess it makes sense that the glass just breaks away and he just rolls right in but um yeah, I mean, it definitely puts him into a position of, ouch, this really hurts. I don't know how much more I can do. Again, he's one of our non-supers who's actually doing all this fighting. But again, this is this point in the fight where everyone's kind of isolated and they're all hitting this point where they're kind of running into being exhausted from the fight. Because as we cut to our next scene, you know, we have Hulk. He's on the rooftop of some random Cleveland building meant to be New York. And um, and he's also kind of getting out out manned outgunned outnumbered and having to figure out how he's going to move on um so let's uh unless you have anything else about hawkeye let's shift over to hulk at this point i mean what uh, as far as like the the nature of this and hulk and everything he can do i mean how does this play for you does it uh does it make sense do you do you kind of like the way that this scene unfolds i do like it to begin with there is one point where he he, he, he 
it starts off with him smashing two of their faces into the ground. Cool. Then he kicks another one, and then another one comes up from behind him with a staff, and it looks like he's about to ding him in the back, of the, and then Hulk just like, kind of grabs him without looking, which then goes, does he have Hulk sense? Like, did he hear, <laughs> hear him coming from behind? Because he just, like, grabs him and throws him. Grabs like, him in, like, another. head. Yeah, yeah. But... He doesn't even look at the guy. Right. Uh, I, I go for Hulk sense. I like that he has Hulk sense. <laughs> <laughs> You're just so angry. I can sense things around me. <laughs> right. What's what's kind of funny, and I, I don't know, honestly, like what they were planning with this, but the way that Hulk was just moving after having kicked that other Chitari, it almost looks like he's getting ready to punch something, and that Chitari just ends up with his head right in the way, and it, Hulk grabs it and like, looks like, oh, where did you come from? Okay, I'll just throw you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a Chitari cell phone. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know if that's... I guess I have to look at it that way, because otherwise it's nothing but Hulk sense, which kind of makes no sense. It makes Hulk sense. (laughs) It makes makes Hulk sense. It makes no Hulk sense. (laughs) (laughs) So then we get the... Then he's he's surrounded from above. Yeah, and that's, I guess, the, the interesting thing, is like he gets hit in the back by a blue pew pew, and then... And he turns and realizes that there's, you know, a, if you count these, it's about 21 Chitari chariots above him that, you know, we see the Chitari at the center who kind of raises his arm like, you know, a gladiator, uh, like the the emperor at a, at a gladiator uh, event and lowers his arm and they all open fire on him. And uh, it's just massive fire and destruction. And Hulk is kind of like buried in this uh, smoke and fire we see him inside of it to the scope of hulk and everything that we expect i guess it's it doesn't seem like something he couldn't get out of it seems like well just jump and he'd be fine but yeah just jump i that's exactly what i'm thinking like it feels like they're just this is a we need us to as you were saying earlier we need a narrative bit to slow down and make it feel like everybody is kind of being overrun even though you know, based on the reality they've set up in the movie already, Hulk would jump. He would jump and start throwing these things against one another. I got to say, uh, it, it is yet another trope that's kind of flipped on its head with these guys. They're not going to go in one at a time. They're all going to stand far, hover far away and all shoot at them at once, <laughs> which is a much better idea when you're facing a, a superior opponent. Like, oh, no, you first, you first, you first. No, everybody fire at once. And it's kind of a cool site. Oh, it's a great site. It's a great site. And but even you can see when they when we get the sort of inside the cloud of fire of pew pew fire, like he's not they they aren't making any impact on his skin. The pew pew. It just feels like he's waving it off, right? I mean, we're not seeing any any cuts or scrapes. Uh, I think he's just overwhelmed by the explosions and he i i don't know that last part it really i i, I wrote down in my notes i think he's yelling in pain i i think it's think? it's so much so much hitting him at once that it's either that or he's just like really frustrated <laughs> yeah right yeah well and i guess that's part of it it's it's like in the scope of what we've seen from hulk in film so far it's only been at least as far as the mcu is concerned the incredible hulk and this and so putting him into a situation like this where uh, so many things are happening at once. It's not like he can bat one Chitari. It's like he's kind of overwhelmed by all these Chitari. And in a way, it kind of, I think there's something that's comparable when you look at something like in Star Trek Beyond, when the enemy 
is overwhelming because there are so many and they're all small. Yeah. As opposed to like a big ship that they're attacking. It's like you can blast, but you're only going to hit a few that are in that area where your blast hit. And and Hulk is kind of that big spaceship. And these are all those little, those pesky little ships that he's trying to fight. Like he can jump up and hit, but he's just doing like a one at a time thing, whereas they'll continue pounding him. And so I think that there's an element to that of the type of attack you do when you're fighting something like him. And and as you're saying, Robin, I think clearly something is bothering him because this is a situation where he's he's may, may not be pinned down, but there's enough happening at once where it's kind of putting him in a place where he's inactive. Mm-hmm. He should have played Beastie Boys. That would have taken care of everything. Right. If and only, yes. uh, let's just note that Andy just equated Hulk to the Enterprise, which is awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Hulk is Enterprise. It only took 123 <laughs> minutes to get here. <laughs> there is a little bit of uh, dodgy CGI when you're, I mean, it's a cool look when he's looking up and he's like surrounded. And I, I love the, 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 the look of like this one person is going, is overwhelming odds around him and just facing off. Uh, but it does look like there's a bit of copy and paste of the Chitauri sequence. <laughs> like they're all kind of looking the same except for the couple in the middle. Uh, that's funny yeah the nature of visual effects i mean that this is something that i definitely notice as i do this in kind of this um moment by moment uh minute by minute second by second sort of watch because even when clint was leaping off the roof like some of the explosions going on behind him with him in the background look pretty fakey fakey as he's doing his little turn and spin there's this one little fire chunk that's falling off to his kind of screen left at about 21 22 seconds that just looks like it's total like all those little slow-mo fire pieces that are falling they just look cg'd in there and so there's definitely in a big fight like this with lots of cg you know and as we record this you know the Flash has come out, and that has its own oh, issue. Here of, we go. Here we CG. go. Andy's no, no, going to no. unleash. I'm just saying, we're in this era where these studios are wanting more and more to create these big CG fests in these films, and the visual effects artists are all very overtaxed t- trying to accomplish what the filmmakers are wanting to achieve. And not always doing a great job. It's a lot of ask. Yeah. And we're going to constantly be running into this. And I think the longer we're stepping away from these films, I mean, this film is now, what, 11 years old. It's going to, we're going to see more and more stuff that just looks a little dated or copied and pasted or just completely faked. And it's just, it's always going to be an issue. But I, the, the difference is, I think this movie is representative of the, of the time this movie was made. And of state of the art of the time this movie was made. Like, I feel like they did exactly what they needed to do with what they were capable of doing. And you, when you bring up the flash, it is, it is a sign of the times there too, that it is a sign of exhausted teams of VFX workers being asked to do too much too fast. That is that that's the, that's kind of the difference to me. I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm much more forgiving of the kinds of things that look a little fakey in, in the Avengers than I am the Flash, for sure. But were you in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, staking to the MCU? Yeah, it also had some really dodgy stuff going on there for the same reason that the Flash did. Like, I thought the Flash was a more egregious example of it because they were trying to make things that were real look real and did not. And Quantumania 
we're making cartoon things that it, in large part <laughs> felt like they're they're already creating things that don't exist and uh and so they're they're less grounded to me even though it looked wonky uh it did not look anywhere near as wonky as the flash but i do think that it is a sign of the times in in marvel's vfx universe for sure it it's going to be remembered that way i think well, and, and, you know, for the first big team-up movie, I imagine that they were doing everything they could to make everything look as good as possible. So it is I interesting, so though, when you do have a moment with this massive group of these floating Chitauri there where they do all kind of have this little cut-and-paste sort of feel to it. So, ah, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, massive team-up movie that probably should have gotten a lot of, uh, just, just, just like Justice League, right? That- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh, uh, well. Well, this takes us to the last part of our minute. Now the World Security Council has taken over. Uh, they're not letting Fury make these decisions. We hear good old Jenny Agater, uh, one of our members of the World Security Council, we hear her come in over the radio talking to this jet pilot and basically say, let's go. And he says, we'll go for a takeoff. And then Maria Hill uh, realizes on her screen, as, as we get at the very end, we have a bird in mo. <laughs> Jenny Agater, is that American Werewolf in London? Yeah. Um, okay, I was going to say, how many times have you probably been asked this? But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's well, she's barely in it, but yeah, she's uh, wow. she has a much bigger role in uh, Civil or not Civil War, um, Winter Soldier, hmm. when she gets uh, to actually come on screen and play opposite Robert Redford. So it is lovely when it's a British voice calling for the destruction of New York. <laughs> following the trope all brits are evil in american action movies i have a question uh the the quote is director fury is no longer in command override order seven alpha 11 so is seven alpha 11 the override order or is it the over or is it the order we're overriding (laughs) oh that could have been very confusing uh grammar order of operations matters uh, yeah shield it sounds like, um, and he, I mean, the pilot does, I, I don't know if this means much, but he has Alpha on his helmet. Like when he turns right around 53 seconds, Alpha is written really? on his helmet there. Oh, I, I have another extra bit of information that might be helpful. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I We cut to Maria doing some, uh, uh, you know, screen work. And she grabs from her right side a small red window that says 7 Alpha 11 and then drags it over to her second screen where it blows up and shows the the jet being uh, geared up to to take off. So uh, I'm I'm not sure what that means, but I was I was like, oh, the the words it says 7 Alpha 11. It's funny. They spell out Alpha rather than just like 7A11. Right. There there was something that I, I know at some point I had done some digging, but I, I thought that I had figured out a little bit tied into your conversation about is the order 7 Alpha 1 1, is that related to what they're overriding or is her override command 7 Alpha 1 1? She does say 1 1, right, yeah. I just Googled it and it brought up the, the clearance level for S.H.I.E.L.D. in the Cinematic Universe wiki. <laughs> and uh, Alpha Alpha level is only Nick Fury and Alexander Pierce. Those are the only only members that have alpha level. So 
Maybe they're overriding Nick Fury. And this pilot's helmet. Nick Fury, <laughs> Pierce, and this pilot's helmet. Those three. Wait, is um, that Robert Redford in that? In that <laughs> it might be Robert Redford destroying New York. Oh, man. If he gave like a thumbs up and a salute to the camera before he took off. Oh, amazing. Right. <laughs> there is a, um, yeah, the whole list of like the clearance levels. Um, there is... Aside from like Alpha with Fury and Pierce, uh, a lot of our team is uh, level seven, and so yeah, that uh, that could be there the isn't a level the seven in the numer- numeric system at all. I, no, I yeah, know. but one one, I don't know what the one one would do. Um, I don't know. It's it is interesting. Like I wonder if is that some other code that she's also giving? I just don't know. Regardless, <laughs> uh, you know, it's something that we'll have to be paying attention to, Pete, between here and. Uh, and uh, when the plane finally gets off the helicarrier. But it did make me wonder, like, why is there a reason that the World Security Council latches onto one of these jets that's on the helicarrier? Uh, presumably, mm. as the World Security they Council, have, they have, yeah, there's there's all sorts other of, planes. yeah, like, why does it have to specifically be here? Obviously, it has to for the film's purposes. We need it to kind of all tie in together. But this speaks to the whole thing about, like, where are all of the other potential people that could be helping? The Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, the National Guard. Like, where are these groups that could be participating in this? Captain it, Marvel. Yeah, it's this is a superhero movie. We don't want those people to be involved because we need our supers to yeah, specifically yeah. be the ones that are doing the work. And so, to that end, like... Maybe maybe that's another reason why the World Security Council is tapped in specifically with what we have in context of the film, which is the helicarrier. Because otherwise, I mean, there could be jets scrambled from all over the place that could be flying into Blast New York. Absolutely. So, mm. all right. Lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, very interesting minutes to discuss, Robin. Any last thoughts from anything, um, you know, that uh, that you saw as you were revisiting it? Oh, no, not really. It just kind of made me think of like, you know, where are all the other people? I, is there a moment in this in this movie where someone comes out and is like, yo, you don't mess with New York. Is there a character <laughs> in this movie that does that too? There really should be. I would love it to it have been be. the hot dog vendor. That would have been, yeah. that would have been fantastic. <laughs> I think all of them were left for the Spider-Man films, so we don't get to uh, see them in this one, but they certainly... Oh, man, New Yorkers are owned by Sony. Oh, yes, God. they are. New York is a Sony property, I'm afraid. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. All these people had to contractually say, oh, no, I was just playing somebody from Ohio who is visiting New York. I don't actually live here. (laughs) All right. Well, let's wrap things up for today. We'll have you back uh, next week, Robin, to talk about Minute 128, which should be fun. Um, So tell everybody again again about Sword Boys and all the other stuff that you're up to out there. Uh, yeah, I have a podcast in hibernation, uh, called Karate Kid Minute. Have, uh, if you want, or Fright Night Minute, if you want to see, uh, experience either of those, uh, movies, uh, one minute at a time, those are out there for, uh, you minute by minute people. Uh, I also am doing a podcast with my friends, Jonathan and Rick, all about, uh, movies, uh, that basically feature swords primarily, <laughs> uh, so we just worked our way through Highlander, and I believe uh, as these episodes are coming out, uh, we should be uh, uh, talking about uh, the Beastmaster, and we we kind of divide those into like larger uh, what we call cuts. So the the podcast is Sword Boys Cut by Cut. Uh, you can find that at swordboys.biz. <laughs> because we're we're a business, I guess. When do we meet the power of Grayskull? 
Oh God, it's it's coming. It's definitely coming. I mean, that's, that's good. I just want to make sure. Yes. Yeah. Be- for sure. Beastmaster is a fun one to talk about for sure. Yeah. Though, for oh sure. Yeah. 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 That's 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 the He-Man I'm dealing with right now. Mark Singer okay. all oiled up. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> ah, the '80s. Good times. Good times. Yeah. Well, we'll have the links for all those in the show notes. Check those out, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow with a different guest to talk about Minute 124. So, Pete, thanks as always. Tomorrow's podcast is not authorized, Andy. None of this is authorized. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>